0: Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Paul Janish. Paul is currently uh, the associate head coach at Rice University. He had a fantastic playing career himself, actually played up until he was 36 years old and immediately got into coaching at Rice University. In this episode, he gives some insight on some of the things that he learned throughout his playing career and some of the things he's already learned in his few years coaching, um, college baseball. So it's, it's great stuff. I, I love talking to, to players, um, especially players who were able to play for, for such a significant amount of time. They have so much experience and they they have so much, they're, they're so insightful in certain parts of the game that quite frankly, you would never guess or would never be able to pick up on because, uh, you're not out there playing every single day for years and years and years at the highest level. So really appreciate Paul coming on. I'm a big fan of his. I remember watching him play when he used to be on the Reds um, in their organization. Before we get into today's episode, one of the things that I I wanted to mention and give a special shout out to someone who has been working with me for several months now. And, you know, I'm sure those who have been listening to this podcast for You know, either whether it be a few episodes, several episodes, every episode, I think hopefully you'll be able to pick up at this point that I really enjoy learning. I am very, uh, I'm a very curious person. And so I I think my big thing is if you're not growing, you're dying in whatever it is you're doing, whether it's podcasting, whether it's coaching, business, whatever it is. And so one of the things that I decided to do several months ago was actually hire someone to help me become a better podcast coach and to help me become a better speaker and someone who has really been able to I feel like take my my own game if you will from a, as a coach and as a podcaster to another level and it's going to even get any better and that guy's name is Joe Ferraro so if you follow him on Twitter at ferraro on air he puts out some incredible content he has a podcast himself called the 1% better Podcast. I I love listening to it. He has some great guests on. Not baseball specific. um, You know, a little bit of everything, a little bit of business life. But he does a great job, and I I have picked up and and learned so much from him. Uh, He'll listen to this episode and has no idea that. I'm doing this he didn't ask me to do uh give this ad um up on uh, my podcast but I just wanted to give him a shout out cuz he's he's done a, a great job with me and, and I know with others too and greatly uh, appreciative and also just leading into today's episode I, I wanted to say that because no matter where you are in your life or what you're doing for work it is important to get better it is important to push yourself um, I think that's how burnout happens in whatever it is you're doing. If you're if you don't feel like you're growing and getting better, um, and just doing the same thing day after day after day, you're gonna get burned out. I mean, it's just a matter of time. So, no matter what it is you're doing in life, whether it is baseball, whether it's something completely different, nothing wrong with going out and you know trying to learn and educate yourself, whether it be a, a YouTube video or you know hiring a a, a coach like i did myself um so yeah i want to give a big shout out to joe and then as always if you guys have any questions on the hitting side whether it be you know some of the topics we talk about and in, in this episode with paul Yanish or previous episodes um feel free to uh, email me jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com here is my episode with paul Yanish. <laughs> All right, Paul. I appreciate you coming on the show today, man. It's been um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to, to just talk some baseball and, and college baseball with you.
1: No, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I, I uh, you know we're just coming up on the end of our fall here, so actually looking forward to a little bit of downtime coming up. So we'll have a have some time to reflect. So let's do it.
0: I was uh, someone sent me uh, um, a. Interview with Lance Berkman and Sean Casey the other day. And Lance Berkman had some incredible Wayne Graham stories that he told. Um, do you have any other, are, are there any Wayne Graham stories that uh, that you'd be willing to share with us
1: on the air to, to get the show started? Oh man, we'll, uh, we'll say the show unfolds here. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Wayne Graham. I think that um, relative to Rice University and whatnot, obviously he put us on the map or put the university on the map or baseball program, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, just, uh, I mean, I think his best quality was, uh, he was obviously a kind of an expert motivator, but he had the ability to read people much more so than he probably gets credit for. He, uh, he gets, uh, he, he, a lot of the the stories that, that, that you hear about him are him motivating in a very loud, uh, demonstrative way and which he was obviously very good at, but, he, uh, one thing a lot of people maybe don't don't know about him is that he he knew who to lean on and who not to lean on, and uh, you know the the record speaks for itself. His his ability to get the most out of out of everybody on the team was was pretty special.
0: What would you say? Is there anything like particularly that now that you're coaching in college at Rice, where Wayne Graham was for all those years? I mean, is there anything that you have taken from him and applied to your, like how you coach right now at Rice. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, so Rice is a unique place on the recruiting front. I mean, we have the academic speed bumps that we have. It's a private university that the cost of admission is is, is relatively high compared to a lot of schools. So there's there's some of those things that are that, that make it difficult. Um, we, you know, from a number standpoint, we can't bring in as many people as, as what a lot of universities can. And um, all that being said, I, you know we're also right in the middle of Houston, Texas, right? Which is fortunately um, super saturated environment for for baseball and really all sports in general, but baseball in particular. And uh, so we benefit from that. And we try to try to philosophically try to stay in our lane and, and be who we are. And, you know, when I, when I say that, I mean like really capitalize on the Houston area and in and, and Texas in general, but in particular Houston. And and over the course of time, if you look at Rice's history and in terms of the roster makeup and where guys are from it's, it's it go as high as like 75 or 80 percent or from the Houston area so we we try to focus on that but one of the things coach I'll never forget this as long as you know I played for him obviously at a time in which you know 18 to 21 years old and he, he probably really helped kind of dictate and create the the mental framework that I had while I was playing and also just the way that I see the game and view the game and um, but when I, when I came back in 2000, the fall of 2017 and 18, I came straight from Norfolk, um, had to come complete my degree. And the thing that sticks with me that he told me that year was if you're going to coach, is, cause I, 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 generally am a, you know, have a pretty good rapport with most people and get along with everybody and, and whatnot. Kind of, I think that benefited me over my playing career, but, uh, he said, he said, if you're going to coach, I can promise you, you're going to get meaner. The longer you coach, the meaner you'll get, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I always thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny, but I, I can, I can sympathize with what he actually meant was, uh, you know, you'll, the, the expectation and, and the, uh, the amount of leeway that you give guys will, will, will lessen because you, uh, you understand that, you know, you're relying on 18 to 21 year old guys at the college level to, to be reliable and, and they're inherently unreliable at times. <laughs> so. Um, anyway, co- coach, I, I, I took a lot from him in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And some of it, you don't even realize that you're, you're, uh, the awareness that you're acquiring from a guy like that. Who's, who's, uh, got so many, so much rubber on the road, man, there's just so much knowledge in there that it's, um, it's hard not to, not to get, uh, acquire some baseball knowledge just by being around him.
0: Have you noticed yourself already, uh, in the few years you've been coaching, you get a little bit meaner each year? I,
1: so I think that it's, I mean, the answer, the short answer is yes. And it's not so much meaner as much as it is. You don't give them as much leash, right? You just, you say, look, man, the time is now. Okay. You know, cause I always joke and this comes back from my, my playing days on the professional level. It's a production league. Okay. Like we're, we're about winning games. And so like, I need you to be good like tomorrow. And you know, I think that it's, it's you know, I have three young kids of my own and um, it's no different in the sense that you create expectation and they will respond. You know, they, our guys are, you know, they want to be good and you just got to, you got to, you got to make sure that they understand that, um, that while we're trying to have fun, we're, we're, we're trying to get good. And if, if, if we're not on the same, if we're not on the same, same plane, like I need to get you on the same plane in a hurry kind of deal, you know?
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. What, why did you immediately go from, you know, you had a really good professional baseball career. You played until you were 36 years old. Why did you go immediately from that to right into coaching, like no time off or anything?
1: That's a good, tremendous question, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, I've, I've been super fortunate, super blessed in the sense that, man, I got to play for way longer than I should have. Okay. I, I had a I had a skill set and I, I had a really high desire to, to, to be as good as I could be or get as much out of out of my ability as I could. And I really feel, you know, I feel about as comfortable as anybody probably saying that I think I did that. You know, I got to play for a long time and got almost six years of service time and got to see and do some cool stuff. And, you know, we're watching the playoffs at the house right now with the Astros and my kids are all juiced up and, you know, I got to be a part of three postseasons, which a lot of people never get the opportunity to do and um, but in terms of going into coaching, man, it just it it picked me. Yeah, you know, I I came back to Rice, and it was at a time which you know Coach Graham was entering his last year, and he, we had always remained close and stayed in contact. And you know he he asked me to come help. I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And I was in Norfolk at the time and thinking like, man, I'm I'm 36 and things don't work like they used to, and I got I got three kids, and uh, you know it was a unique opportunity at Rice where I went to school and. My wife went to Rice as well, so it was like an aligning of stars. So to be honest with you, it just felt like what was supposed to be going on at the time.
0: Making the transition from professional baseball as a player to coaching at the college level, I mean, it's the same game, right, you know, between the white lines, but I've I've never coached in college, um, but I've heard that there's just a lot of stuff that goes on that you don't really expect or that's, you know, a lot of recruiting stuff. I mean, what was like some of the things that when you started coaching, you're like, man, I was not expecting to have to do X, Y, Z.
1: Yeah. So a couple of answers to the question. So the game between lines is the same in a sense, but it's also different because there's, you know, college basically gotten significantly better in terms of the level of play. However, it's, you know, I, I, I fortunately, like I said, I had, I had the opportunity to be at the big league level and I, I hadn't been any lower than triple A since 2008. Right. That's a long time. And that's, you're dealing with some guys that uh, the level of baseball is just very good. That's just, it comes at the invite right there. Right. Um, so there was some adjustment there. Like I was joking about the unreliability and whatnot and um, the frame of reference for the level is, it was definitely it took, I mean, to be honest, it took me a year to, uh, or, or a season is probably a better way to say it. Um, so that was number one. Number two, it, the stuff outside of the field is, is more than you think, man. Like the, the recruiting side of things is obviously relentless in this, this current landscape, which I'm sure a lot of college coaches will tell you that they don't love, or at least I don't, I don't love the way that it's currently unfolding. And when I say that, I mean, like with regards to how young certain guys are being recruited, I just think it's, it's uh, at this point, I don't know that there's any turning back. I don't know that there's a way to combat it. It's just, I, I don't think it's productive for the, for the kids and the families, you know, it's just, there's a, it's a tough dynamic at at, at this point. So that's number two. And then the compliance side, it's, there's just so many freaking rules, man. And they're constantly changing and there's obviously real consequences for, for doing things you're not supposed to and what have you, which, you know, I think as a general rule, the the game of college baseball is in as good a place as it's ever been Um, economically, competitively, the whole, the whole gig. And, that's really exciting but as a, as a result it also creates a lot of incentive right and so when you have when you have that and you're going to have people that are, that, that are willing to push the envelope with regards to you know getting an edge and that, that just this part of it man it's, it's the nature of really all sports in general so um but to answer your original question the 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 stuff off the field, because like the baseball stuff right now, hitting fungo, throwing batting practice, like working with the guys, which is, you know, in theory, when somebody gets into coaching, what we all think is, is what it's all about. And that's just, you know, you're you're talking about probably 25% of the job at the college level is, is the actual baseball stuff. And a lot of the other stuff is at least outside the season. When we're in season, obviously it's the majority of it is on the field, but um, it's just a relentless endeavor uh, outside the field for sure
0: do you enjoy the recruiting aspect? I know you, I mean, I don't, I don't know too many people who enjoy recruiting eighth and ninth graders, but I mean, do you enjoy the recruiting aspect going and watching players and scouting players and, um, you know, trying to recruit them to come to rice?
1: I think that the answer is, yeah, I enjoy an an element of it. I do think like, I think the best word is relentless. Like it does get relentless during the summer, you know, I was in Atlanta for the better part of three weeks, right. Chasing kids around and, and doing that kind of stuff, that side of it, you, you definitely, it wears on you a little bit and, you know, when the end of the summer comes around you're ready to, to, uh, to not, to not watch any high school baseball, but um, it's, I, I do enjoy it. I, I will say relative to Rice specifically, which, you know, again, I have a, a little bit of a bias towards, and it's the only place I've worked collegiately. So I do feel like I understand what, what, and who kind of fits here. And since we are a little bit of a different product, I do, you know take a lot of pride in trying to trying to get people that fit here and and it's it's not as you know quote unquote easy as it is at some places because of some of the things i mentioned earlier with academics and cost of admission and all that stuff but that being said it's um it's a it's a rewarding endeavor and i do feel cool about being able to offer a kid a scholarship to come to rise okay look i hope that you have the opportunity to play in the big leagues and I, i dang sure hope you help us win some conference championships and go to regionals and super regionals and hopefully go to omaha but I can say probably more so than, you know, a lot of other college coaches, Look, I'm changing somebody's life when I, when I, when we bring them to rise, like, again, I'm hoping that they're really good at baseball in college, but I pretty much just, if they hold up there into the bargain, you know, change the next 40 to 50 years of their life. So that, that is an element that I don't lose sight of. And it's, it's relative to our university specifically. It's a pretty cool deal.
0: Yeah, that is That is pretty cool. I mean, just hearing you say that, how you, you know, you know, when you bring someone in that their life is going to be changed forever. Um, and as I'm sure you can attest to that being having graduated from Rice as well. Um, you know, I, what I was thinking was, you know, why wouldn't baseball adopt the softball rules where in softball, you can't contact a player until September 1st of their junior year. I mean, that would just, does that just make too much sense? I, mean, I don't know why we wouldn't do that in baseball.
1: Yeah, so so technically speaking, like I can't call a player until September first, right? But they can call me, or I can communicate yeah. with the travel coach and whatnot. So there's always gonna be loopholes, but I don't know. I mean, I would be on board if you got a petition that you want to start, I'll sign it. But um, <laughs> I, I think that we may be too far down the road at this point, and it's uh, you know, it, it unfortunately it's just part of it now. When you when you are out
0: recruiting, like what's specifically, and and this is maybe vague, like, what are you looking for? Right. I mean, there's, I know that different coaches want different things and, you know, they, some players, some people they they want the, you know, power and bat speed and and velocity as an arm and other people want the bat the ball skills and an actual baseball player. What are you looking for?
1: Yeah. So I, I, again, you probably go back to, to coach Graham in terms of creating a mentality, but um. Uh, philosophically to rise it's you know we can't bring in as many guys as what other schools do so that lends itself to us wanting some versatility right like i'd in a, in a perfect world you'd, you'd have eight or nine shortstops on your team and you know chances are you put that guy out in left field and he's going to do okay right um but we look for versatility i put a lot of emphasis on the baseball player side of it because at the college level at any level i mean we're watching that major league playoffs right at any level but if you can minimize mistakes, you know, so I'm, we're, we're philosophically going to try to, you know, build them on the mound, right? Like start on the pitching mound and then play good defense. And, you know, obviously we want some guys that can hit the ball over the fence and whatnot, but if, uh, if you got to pick between all of those things, you, we're starting on the mound we're going to play good defense up the middle and, and, and then try to get some athletes that are offensive that can maybe we can create some stuff, uh, due to the type of athlete that we have as a whole, you know? What about
0: from specifically an infield perspective? Because I mean, you yourself were an infielder, um, a very, very good one at that. So, I mean, what are you looking for from an infielder?
1: Just reliability, man. Reliability. So like the number one thing that I look for and, you know, is the, the enemy of a good infielder is anxiety. Right. Um, So I'm just looking for guys that, in my opinion, you can really tell a lot even through body language and the way guys, I mean, as dumb as it sounds, the way they walk, I mean, um, but I'm looking for that, like just reliability I I want some, you know, I I joke with our guys, I say it all the time, just catch it and throw it straight, right? Um, But that's what I'm looking for, just somebody who's very sure-handed, somebody who you can tell just their demeanor, their presence, it, it carries some internal confidence. I don't need you to be showy. I don't have anything, you know, I'm not against, you know, if, if you can show off and, and make the plays, you know, our level is not as, as, as much of that as the pro level. Right. But um, I'm, 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 i like out getters. So when I say out getter, just guys that, that, that create outs, man, defensively, we, you know, plays that are supposed to be made, get made. And anyway, so that's, that's, that's what we're looking for. Just, just sure-handed guys that are, that they don't have, they're not scared. They're, I don't, I don't want to see somebody who looks like he's a little timid. I don't want to see somebody who looks like when he throws the ball across the infield, there's a little bit of the wheels are turning in terms of man. I hope this is a good throw. I want somebody with that's going to play with conviction.
0: Do you think you could you could help somebody improve those if there was someone who had some anxiety when they were throwing or?
1: I mean, 100%. So, uh, you know, I say all that because we. I'd love for everybody to show up and be uh, uh, all confident. You, you all would always
0: be well, you defensively.
1: No, nah, 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 I mean, but what I mean is, like, is uh, somebody who's going to show up and they're good out of the gate, right? At our level, unfortunately, that's not always the case. Like, there's at any level. I mean, you know, you, you see guys that, you know, that you hear the Derek Jeter story, right? He made, like, 52 errors in low A or whatever. And, obviously, the rest speaks for itself. So, you're still dealing with guys that are – don't have a lot of rubber on the road at our level. So I I do think that based on some of my background and some of the really good infield guys, I was able to be around the way that I currently up. I mean, I personally operated. um, I do think that we can help them on with some of those things. And there's, there's simple stuff, man, but I I am an, an advocate too. Like there's, I didn't give enough credit when I played to the, like the sports psychology side of it. Right. We had access to all of that. And, I was kind of cut from the mold of like, you know, standard issue. I'll figure it out. Like I'm, you know, that kind of thing. And I've come to realize like, that's a big part of the game. So like, I try to appeal to that. We, I'm not just coaching the, the the mechanics of the game. We're coaching the psychology of the game too. And we do the best we can to, to, again, make the read on, on the individual you try to create rapport and figure out what makes them tick. You might have to get in, get in, get on some, some guys and like kind of make them feel uncomfortable and you might have to You know, for lack of a better way to say it, pet some guys and and be a little bit more positive reinforcement type stuff. So that's a, you know, there's no, it's not black and white on that front, right? It's a, it's everybody's different terminology is a dangerous thing. You got to be careful what you say to certain people and different cues work and, and all of that stuff. So it's a, that's the, that's the element of the coaching side that I really appreciate and like. So it's, you know, I I think that it's, um, it's not an exact science. And I personally, give a lot of credit to that and try to, try to embrace it, I guess, is the best way to say it.
0: How do you go about practicing fast versus practicing slow when it comes to random versus block practice when dealing with infielders?
1: So uh, we kind of start, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. It's just the way that I like it. We, we kind of start with the progression at the beginning of the fall. And, you know, so with our guys that I've had in the past, they kind of, you know, they, they, they get the, they know the gig, but with our new guys try to, you know, you, you, first of all, we get want to get to know them a little bit and see what we're working with, see what some of their abilities and limitations are and good and bad and whatever, and we kind of start there. But I, I personally start with the progression of I want them to start slow. It's just like when you walk into a cage and you want to hit off of a tee to start and then you're going to take soft toss. Now I'm going to take batting practice. Okay, now I'm going to go hit in the game or hit off of a velocity machine or whatever the case is. So it's a similar deal. I think personally, especially with young infielders, you get, they get sped up kind of on accident. And so you want to get out there and we start taking ground balls and you are you got freshmen taking ground balls with juniors and seniors that are a little bit farther down the road. And, you know, they, they're trying to do everything all at once. Oh, my gosh, the coach is looking at me. I want to impress them, to, you know. So I try to take a step back and say, look, you know, let's catch it first. You know, segment it out. You know, we start with a progression drill where you're not even moving your feet. You're just sitting there and catching them coming to you. And then we'll, you know, work our way up to – you know, the transition and the weight transfer and throwing across, and okay, now let's take some in and out and we'll turn some double plays and that kind of deal. But and it, it's it shows itself pretty quickly, um, in terms of kind of who's ready to 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 move on and who you gotta who you gotta slow down and say, look, let's not put the cart before the horse, let's get good at this. Where we try to do everything all at one time.
0: What would you say, uh, for coaches out there who are working with high school players or just younger kids, like what's the most overlooked thing, um, when it comes to coaching infielders that you see? That you see coaches just overlook.
1: I would, I don't know. So I've got, I've got a fourth grader right, and a third grader that that I'm trying to figure out, figure that out with. But I think ultimately, it's, you know, it's just continuing to try to get people into a good position to field and use momentum to throw. It's super simple, super easy. But you know, generally speaking, especially with like quote unquote good younger players. So when I say younger, I'm talking about like the junior high and maybe even a young high school player maybe they have one of the better arms, right. And, and so they can get away with some stuff. So as a result, maybe they're, they're, you know, cutting some corners with regards to what they can do, which we embrace the, the, the result at that, you know, they're, they're the best kid when they're young because they just have a little bit more physical ability or coordination than everybody else, but that we all know that's going to catch up. Right. Um, so that's probably my, my answer with, you know, high school or, or younger is, is just reinforcing kind of the do it the right way, like catch it, funnel it, get some momentum towards your target. And, you know, even with my my own kids, I, I try to get in our players, I try to get them to make the ball spin right, you know? So when you throw the ball, it's because again, we're looking for reliability. I, I want to, I tell our guys like, make as many plays easy as you can. You know, I, I love the great play, but I want as many plays to be easy as you can. Um, so the more consistent you can do things, the less variables that we have, you know, the, 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 the more consistent result I think we're going to have and understanding that, look, when you're playing in a game, you know, you want the guys to be athletes and play free, right? I, I do like the great play, but in terms of a practice plan or whatnot, I want to get really good at doing things the right way.
0: How do you go about helping guys with the throwing aspect of the infield? Because that's where a lot of errors occur with, uh, occur with the throwing. Like, Is there progression you have for the throwing aspect?
1: So it it varies by position, you know, with, with what we do, we try to, I try to make our guys take ground balls and throw and turn double plays from every position on the infield, just so that, you know, cause it's just good for everybody. It's good for you to to even optically see different things and and know where you're throwing from. But with regards to throwing again, it it just kind of comes into for me, unless you have a, I always tell our guys, look, I'm not going to not let you do anything. If you, if you have the ability to do stuff, I'm going to let you throw from different slots. I want, I want to embrace that what you have the ability to do. However, it, I, I am an advocate of, you know, the majority of the time you have the ability to get in the position to throw right. And you have the ability to make a relatively, uh, you know, normal arm slot throw. And so just try to embrace that, especially early in the fall. You know, I don't like to throw on the run a whole lot early in the fall. Like you guys, set your feet and throw I want to see want to see how it works and I just think that that's the again it takes a variable out I, you like for guys to be able to add and subtract in terms of velocity or arm slot and you know as long as the ball ends on first base then we're in good shape but I really want to type in the 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 firm you know you know you don't have to throw it hundred percent but I want you to put the ball in a line um, as consistently as we can and we work our way out from there. It's the same kind of progression. Like once I, once you prove to me, you can do that with some consistency, at least at our level, which we need to be able to do. Um, now let's, let's talk about, you know, different slots and coming in, whether or not we're in two hand in the slow roller or one hand in the slow roller, depending on the lane that the ball is in and that kind of stuff. So again, it's just a progression. You gotta, you gotta walk before you can run kind of thing. And, and so we try to, we try to slow the game down for these guys in a way that, so once they're having to do it at a game speed, it's it's not as big of a, we're not hoping that they get it right. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, I was uh, <clears throat> reading online the other day about how, you know, so many plays for infielders in professional baseball, really just baseball everywhere is are made with one hand, but yet so many times it's mm-hmm. always taught with two hands. Uh, is that something even with your young kids, do you emphasize still two hands or do you want them now like, starting out working
1: one hand? So I'm probably going to catch some flack for this, but um, I, I am an advocate of the one of being able to do the one hand um, one hand deal comfortably because there's no two ways about it. Like there's plays that are that are easier to make one handed. It creates more flexibility, more free range, you know. But in particular, balls that are not right at you. If it's if it's right at you're looking at a guy that I mean, talking to a guy that I did as much as I could to get in front of as many balls as I could. To standard issue old school, like, you know, played it really, really straight up Threw the ball over the top, you know, that kind of stuff. That being said, I had a, I've had a bunch of really good infield guys when I was playing Freddie Benavides in Cincinnati and I had Chris Spire for a long time. And then Bobby Dickerson when I was in Baltimore and who I think uh, the world of. And, um, it, and I played with JJ Hardy at the end of my career and caught everything with one hand, right. One, three gold gloves. And it's just a, it's a skill that you need to have if you're going to play at a high level period dot the end. So like, even with my sons, I I, I do, I may, you know, they, they play in little league and they, they, you know, they get the coaches that are, they get on them about, about using one hand. And one of my kids is good at it. And one of them uses two hands and whatever, but um, I am an advocate of the one hand because I do believe that if you can execute it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's what, you know, for lack of better better way to say it, it's what better players do. Yeah. And so so I'm an advocate. It's not it's not a requirement in the game, but I do want our guys to be comfortable doing it.
0: Yeah, it it's just it's been something that I've noticed um lately. We just watching more professional baseball and paying attention to to a lot of the infielders, even just this past season um, with us. What, what would you say though? Like if, if there's a player out there listening right now, um, you know, maybe it's a high school kid, he's an infielder. I mean, what would, like? what's the focus of yours when you played infield for all those years? Like what was, what were some of the things going on in your mind of like pre-pitch? Like what were you thinking about? Were you thinking about anything?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good question. And again, you know, I kind of did this on accident. So when I was like we talked about, it. fortunately, I had the uh, the opportunity to play for a while, and so I kind of some of this stuff was like typed in my database, and I didn't even realize some of the things that were, were going through my head until I got back to Rice and started saying them out loud to some of our college guys. Um, that being said, I think it's super important. Again, it's 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 simple, but you know, being in a good position to the field. And that there's two different two different spots I'm talking about. So like, getting into a good position to react, meaning like when the ball's is crossing the hitting zone, um, whatever your preparation is leading up to that. And then also like the act of physically fielding. So if you get in a good position consistently, like you're going to have success, I think. But, um, and the other thing was, you know, baseball is a goofy sport in the sense of when I was, when I was personally playing, I did it on accident, but it was, you know, kind of clearing your mind in between pitches. So I had to deal with looking up into the stands. It was just like different stadiums, different things. You notice certain spots, um, you know, that that inadvertently distract you in a good way. And then, okay, now I'm locked back in. Here's the next pitch. Um, and so I, I think that's important. I tell our guys to try to try to create that, whatever that means is, you know, if it's a 10 second window or whatever it is in terms of whatever the time frame is in between pitches, but you have to be able to kind of clear the mechanism and then relock back in in a way that, so you're focused for the pitch. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do it, you know, a few hundred times in a row or whatever, you know, during a game or, you know, however it, and it's different for everybody, but that's, those are the things that I think are important. Like the ability to to focus when you need to, the ability to remain. I, I mentioned it earlier with, with regards to anxiety, it, you have to figure out a way to, to stay loose. And I know for me, one of the cues that I used when I was, when I was struggling, um, defensively was I thought about a loose wrist with my left hand, like in my, my glove hand, just as long as this wrist was loose, Everything else would kind of take care of itself. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other variables, but that was a cue that helped me, right? Um, so those are the kind of things. Just getting into a good position and 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 being focused in a relaxed way is, I think, ultimately going to be going to be things that help. And it, you know, I use the analogy for our guys that at the end of my career, not the end, a lot of my career, I've, I had to come into games late to play defense, right? And that's a miserable, <laughs> a, a miserable job because um, it's very difficult to, you know, it's, you you come in the game and you make a really good play in the hole, and you throw somebody out in the eighth inning when you're up by one. Everybody says, "Yeah, nice job." You're supposed to do that, but if you if you don't make the play, it's you know it's, it's a crappy deal because that's that's your job, right? So, um, for me personally, the thing that helped and was imagining. I, I physically would would think that I was taking ground balls during batting practice, like in the eighth inning, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm imagining the hitter, whoever it may be, um, you know, when I was in Atlanta and we're playing against Philly or whoever it is, thinking about our, our you know, infield guy, our fungo guy hitting me fungo in the eighth inning. And that was a way that tricked my mind into saying like, what's the big deal? You know, all I'm doing, he's going to hit it to me and I'm going to catch it. I'm going to throw it. Um, and obviously that's dumbing it down significantly. Right. But it was something that for me worked. And so we, we try to do iterations of that with our guys that, that can kind of accomplish, you know, the, you know, the ability to not care, I think is significant. And I say that kind of cautiously, cause you got to be careful how you, how people interpret that, but the ability to ability to not care and not get too worked up and be able to maintain, um, you know, a calm demeanor, so to speak is, is significant.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. That was really cool information. Just the visualization piece when you were, you know, in the eighth inning, that's, that's really cool stuff. What would you say the, when, when it comes to specifically throwing errors, my, so my manager this past summer was Dave Anderson, Mm -hmm. similar to you. He, he he was a defensive first, probably more so infielder. He would come in late into games for 10 years in the big leagues for the Dodgers. And, um, so you mentioning that stuff, it, it kind of just rings a bell for me. And one of the things he would say is for guys who would struggle throwing, you know, throw the ball everywhere. Is like, he would just say, I like, take it. I want you to take this baseball and I throw it as hard as you possibly can. And that's the only way you can learn, you know, really arm angles and timing and things like that and getting your body into, into rhythm. Um, is that something that you've used too when, when you may be struggled at times with throwing or coaching other players?
1: Yeah. So, and shout out to Dave Anderson, by the way, I'm a big fan of Dave. I yeah. guess know each other a little bit in Baltimore as well, but um, so my personal deal was, I, you know, fortunately I had a, a pretty strong throwing arm and it, over the course of a season or at different points in my career, you know, you, you go through phases where you're not as accurate as you would like to be. So what helped me was the exact thing that Dave said. And I had my college coach Wayne Graham said this to me. I, I distinctly remember when I was in college, one fall, I had a goofy deal where I was making a bunch of bad throws and he gets in my ear and he says, if you throw another ball in the dirt, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. And uh, he said, if you're going to miss, you don't want you to put it in the first row. And anyway, so ultimately throw hard, right. If you're going to make a mistake, throw hard. And I had different cues. So whether it was, it was just a recalibration, right. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to adjust the scope, so to speak. And so I would aim, I would start at the, at the, like it's uh, the guy's, uh, ankles, knees, go to the hip, go to the chest and go to the hat and just pick a spot and throw and see what the ball does. Right. And wherever the, you know, and it, it becomes task oriented instead of the wheels turning like, oh my gosh, I hope this is a good throw. I'm aiming at the first baseman, aim small, miss small. And it was, uh, again, it, I think it, it just depends. It's going to different cues are going to work for different people at different times. But if you pick something to aim at and let the ball go, kind of to Dave's point, at least now we're going to create some consistency. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to, you know, throw the ball 80 to 90% effort level aim, aim at something and see where that goes. if that doesn't work, I'm not going to, I'm not going to manipulate the ball. Okay. I aimed at your belt last time and it was still low when I'm going to aim at your chest. Well, it's still low when I'm going to aim at your hat and then, okay, that works. So now I'm going to throw, I'm going to aim at your hat every single time. That was my personal cue. And as a matter of fact, we just had a conversation with one of our guys, this past week about it. And um, and it, in, in the short term, it seems to have helped, have helped him a little bit. But I think that, again, taking the variables out, taking the psychology out, you give guys a task and they, they can execute it a, a little bit more effectively, generally speaking. And um, not so many ways. I did the same thing a little bit offensively at times when guys are struggling instead of trying to tell them a whole bunch about mechanics and where their hands are or whatever the case is. Say, Hey man, try to hit the ball to center field. Or hey, try to hit it to left center or try to hit the right center. And it just and it takes some of the thought of the mechanics out of it and says, Hey, dude, just let your body work and execute uh, an outcome that we're trying to do. And I personally, especially with at the college level, we've had some success with with things of that nature.
0: And looking back at your career as a hitter, do you think at times you got too mechanical thinking about too much too many things going on in your uh, body?
1: I was just too me personally was, was too aware of, um, of, of, yeah, probably of my body and whatnot, as opposed to saying like, Hey, what do you, when you go to the plate, what are you trying to do, Patrick? Trying to hit the ball hard. Like go up there and hit the ball hard. I know it's simple and easy to say and whatever, but, um, I had some success later in my career with, with regards to almost going up there and thinking like, Hey, it's a two O count. It's a three O it's a three, one count. So that, okay, now I'm in go mode. And if it's a ball, I'll take it. But, for me personally, I spent my whole life with somebody, I'm sorry, with people telling me, Hey, you're so gifted defensively. All you have to do is hit X and you can play for a long time. And that kind of created a, I think a subconscious, probably counterproductive approach at the plate. And, um, I spend a lot, a lot of time trying to get out of that, but, um, ultimately that it's, you know, it, it was very difficult for me to, I was very c- confident and whatnot defensively and for, for what I think was good reason. And, you know, offensively for whatever reason, it just, it was always tough for me to to accomplish the same mindset, but, you know, that being said, if if, if, if they had to throw fastballs all the time, I would have been fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that that created a, a negative thought for you when they said, like, "Hey, you're so good defensively. If you just hit, you know, this average, like you'll be playing for 15 years in the big leagues. Like, why do you, because I think that I would assume that their thought process was, well, he just, he won't put so much pressure on himself at the plate.
1: Yeah, for sure. I th- I'm sure that that was, it was obviously in, in, uh, with good intentions. Right. Um, but again, it goes back to saying terminology is a dangerous thing and you gotta be careful. Um, and that's what we had the conversation with our, like our freshmen, uh, not our, just our freshmen, our entire team, but telling them, look, man, I don't, don't limit yourself. Like, okay, you're a freshman in college and you know, you're not supposed to play quote unquote. Well, why, you know, like I don't understand why not. Or the guy that, you know, is the lower round draft pick at the pro level and you go to the instructional league and, you know, from the get go, you, you, you receive maybe a little bit of a counterproductive feel because you're not the guy quote unquote, well, like go play good. You know what I mean? Like there's, they're not, they're not prejudiced against anybody except, good so people that play good like, yes. those are the guys those are the guys that we're all biased towards like if you play good i like you right <laughs> um so i just think it's important to to not limit have you know try to be careful how you portray things even to to players as just from the get-go just for that reason and that that's something that i was i allowed myself to probably be susceptible to which a lot of us do as players and it's not on purpose and coaches aren't doing it on purpose right they're not trying to bury you or make you think you're limited in, in, into to what you can do. But um, anyway, so I think I got off on a tangent there, but I think get the point.
0: Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's a, it's an interesting point you brought up and to that, to what you just said. I mean, I have no idea like what round actually like you were drafted in or that like some of the other players I watched drafted in. So it's you're right, It was like, at, when you get there, you're, you're there and like it, comes down to what you do on the field. Once you get that opportunity, um, what, 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 like when it comes to hitting at rice for the college kids, like, do you guys have a philosophy or a vision when it comes to like the overall team setting?
1: Yeah. So we, so Jose Cruz jr. Is our new head coach, right? He just got hired this past summer. And, um, so some of that philosophy is literally being implemented now. And, you know, even, even, us, like we're learning each other on the coaching side and trying to get a feel for what exactly he wants offensively. He's, he's, Obviously, was a very good player, um, All Star, and you know, won some Gold Gloves and, and that kind of stuff. Played for a long time in the big league, so um, very much a student of the game. And uh, we we're kind of in the midst, I think, of taking into account the player and the skill set. Okay, so not everybody's created equal, and so I think in terms of our job is we do want to make each individual better, but at the same time, we're trying to make a collect a team, like we're trying to make an offense, right? So it's important for us to kind of diagnose, help the guys understand who they are. Like if, if, if you, if you don't have the ability to hit the ball over the fence and you run really, really fast, like you're going to operate differently than the guy who can, you know, go foul pole to foul pole and hit the ball to the yard and change the score, you know? Um, So that, that I think philosophically is more our approach in terms of trying to create an offense, right? We want to know where the pieces fit, understand who you are, you know, and everything in between. And and that, does that mean like, hey man, I need you to be really good at if the third baseman's back. You need to be able to lay the drag bunt down at our level and get on base. Or if, if the situation presents itself, I need you to be able to hit and run. You know, those are things that at the big league level and some of those are coming back into play as we see, but they're not. It, it, for those reasons, I kind of say our level is different than the pro level. It, it just is because you're dealing with different prerequisite skill sets. You're dealing with you know, different incentives and different motivations, you know, are, are all of, all of those things influence kind of philosophically, you know, how we want to coach the offense, if that makes sense.
0: What about two strike approach? You played a long time. You're coaching now. I'm I've, I've heard a lot of different two strike approach I know strikeouts are a thing where it's, it's increasing, you know, every year over the past 10, 15 years in baseball, w- what do your, what are your thoughts on two strike approach?
1: So I, I think it's, you know, again, our level is different. Um, with the stuff that you're seeing those guys on TV throw, those guys are, you know, in, in a lot of instances they're almost having to pick a pitch, right? Like you got to pick a pitch and hit it, or try to hit it. At our level, I think it, it's it's still a little bit more of of a mentality of of competitive nature, right? You gotta you gotta just you gotta figure out a way to to. I use the word grind, like you need to be able to grind. Um, that being said, I'm also a believer that inadvertently a lot of people create anxiety when you get to two strikes. And why is that? Okay. Like get on the plate and don't let anything get by you choke up and, and just try to foul it off. Well, you know, okay, but we're still on offense. You know what I mean? So like, I, I personally try to, again, terminology is a dangerous thing. So you got to be careful, but I'm trying to create a a situation where you're still pretty relaxed and I'm going to see the baseball and what are we trying to do with two strikes? Like, I'm still trying to hit a mistake ultimately. Like if it's a, if it's a tough pitch, like, Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe we're trying to get a piece and fell it off. No question about it. But at the end of the day, I'm still trying to make sure I don't miss the mistake. If he makes a mistake with two strikes, we need to hit it. If he makes a perfect pitch with two strikes, we're probably out. And that's probably not a, a very, uh, condoned statement. Right. But the, if we're, if we're really paying attention to what's going on, like that's that's, that's the reality of it, you know? And, so I don't, I don't want guys to be, okay, I got two strikes now. I'm, I'm super tight on the bat and I'm, uh, man, I'm hoping all I want to do is fall it off. Well, no, I don't. Like if he hangs a curve ball and you to hit over the fence or into the gap, you know what I mean? That kind of deal. So it's a little bit, um, probably of a different answer than what a lot of people might give, but it, that's kind of, kind of where we're at.
0: I, well, I, I love the, I, like, I a hundred percent agree with your answer. That's one of the things that I try to preach to the players. I think, from what I've seen most players strike out because they get in that defensive mindset and they start swinging at stuff that they would never swing at with less than two strikes because they're so afraid of, of striking out and what all that means. When you were playing, did you have that defensive mindset with two strikes?
1: Yeah. And so I, it's funny because I actually experienced it early as college. I had a lot of success with two strikes and, um, relatively speaking, you know what I mean? Relative to having two strikes, you choke up a little bit on the bat and you shorten up and okay, well, that for me created better swings. And I think probably with the cause of that is you take a little bit off and I, it did relax me. Like I was, I actually had some experience, some success later in my pro career, literally thinking in my head, cause you're dealing with guys that, like for me personally, like their stuff was better than I was. <laughs> so <laughs> if they make their pits, like I, I was going to be out. And so when I actually adopted that, like with two strikes, like you're supposed to get out, like he's supposed to get you out with two strikes. If I, if you get out, okay. You know, big deal. Um, and again, that's a little counterintuitive in terms of like, if, if you, if you hear somebody talk about two strikes they're like, you gotta, you know, grind and like battle 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 which again i, I agree with you got to learn you got to know who you are and what words make you accomplish what you want but that that helped me man it, it took the, it took a load off and i was like you know what i'm supposed to be out if you make this pitch i'm probably out um and but that was a way that, that kind of freed me up in the sense of of uh of getting rid of the 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 anxiety with regards to the circumstance
0: So in a sense, you were just, you were accepting that failure was a part of the game. And like in that instance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And which again, I was, (laughs) I've been playing professionally for 10 or 12 years. I was a little, I was a little farther down the road than, than, you know, most people are or whatever, but it's uh, but absolutely, I think in a, in a nutshell, the way you said it's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Paul, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a a ton of fun. Um, I'm going to text Dave Anderson now. I I didn't put the two together that you guys were overlapped each other with Baltimore, but he was, uh, he was great. love, love love working with him. And again, man, good luck this year. I'll be, I'll be following along and um, you know, tell colder I said hi too.
1: No, for sure. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Awesome.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you enjoyed this one with Paul Janish. If you're not already, make sure to follow me on Twitter at P Jones Baseball. Same username for all the social media networks, Facebook, Instagram, P Jones Baseball. And then also, if you haven't already, make sure to head on over to my website, PatrickJonesBaseball.com. Sign up to be on the email list. I don't send a ton of emails out. But when I do, I I do make sure that there's a ton of value and, um, and you'll get something out of it. So hope everyone is doing well and see everybody next week.